So I love taking my children places. I'm kind of, uh, I like to give gifts to them. That's what my dad did for me. And I do that. What we go to is Shields. It's kind of like a tradition we do at least once a month. If I had it my way, I would have it every week. But, uh, you know, you don't go to Shields all the time. You spend money there. So you got to watch it on your budget kind of thing. But Shields for my kids is kind of a big deal. Shields has, if you've been there, Shields in Sandy. You guys know what I'm talking about, Shields in Sandy? It's, and it's kind of like all over the United States. It's kind of cool. They play Christian music in there. That's, a, that's kind of a cool thing. Kind of like a, it gives you kind of a Chick-fil-A-esque kind of feel. And so they've got like this like animal display and, you know, kids love animals. It's not real. They're stuffed animals, like the kind you shoot. What's, what's it called, Alan, when you stuff an animal? Taxidermy. Yeah, there we go. Didn't remember that word. Uh, <laughs> so they also have a, a indoor Ferris wheel. I mean, you know you've got to have a pretty big building to have an indoor Ferris wheel. And they have like a little arcade. And Kenny always beats Abigail. And she gets so mad because he's younger than she is. He just, you know, they, they race all the time on it. And they have candy and toys. And boy, do they have candy. And boy, do they have candy. They have like a whole like designated room for candy. Right. If I if I go in there and I just start losing it in chocolate, I will have the most intense migraine known to man. But it's very it's very tempting. And they've got ice cream in there. I mean, what does Shields not have? I mean, this is like the closest thing to like heaven for a four and a six year old. Right. And so I let them pick out a toy whenever we go. That's why we don't go there every week. Because then they would have already too many toys and put us into debt. But yeah, I let Abigail and Kenny pick out a toy. And I kid you not, every time we go, Kenny will pick out some Lego amalgamation, pick out some Lego set. And it's usually related to Marvel and specifically the Incredible Hulk. Some, it's Hulk driving a car. I didn't even think Hulk could drive a car. He's got like two Hulk driving car Lego sets. And so Abigail, of course, tries to pick out the most expensive thing. She was a little diva, and she will, last time she picked out this really heavy makeup kit, it had like a mirror, it was like $55, she could barely carry it. I'm like, you're not getting that until you're 30. <laughs> so, forget it. So, you know, sometimes she'll get a princess Lego set, and so what happens, it, I do this on my day off, which is Monday, in case you didn't know, is we'll go down to Shields on Monday, and so I'll, they'll pick out a Lego set, so I'm constructing these Legos all day long for two hour periods, uh, and then what happens is after I construct these Lego sets, what my, th what my four-year-old son will do inevitably is break them over and over and over again throughout the entire day. So my whole entire day off is me making and fixing Lego sets that Kenny is breaking. Now, when I make and create a Hulk Lego set car thingamajigger, a Lego set, let's follow the step-by-step -step instructions and so on, is the way that I put together and create that Hulk algamation, whatever it is, is that the same way God creates the world and the universe? And according to the Bible or in scripture, the answer is no. The way I create a Lego set is not the way in which God creates the universe because God creates the universe out of nothing. No Legos, no physical parts, no clumps of stuff where God's like, oh, here's a dough I'm going to make, you know, no, nothing like that. He creates out of nothing. Creatio ex nihilo is it's called in Latin, you know. We, we like to use English. We used to have Latin on the steeple, and I, we fixed that. But yeah, if you want to be fancy and impress people with the Latin, there you go. 
So on this view, this is, this is a, a very unique view because the time when the Bible was being written in the Old Testament, Genesis 1-1, all the other surrounding like pagan religions, Near Eastern religions, taught that when the gods created, they created out of like some sort of stuff. Right. Sometimes it's like the water, you know, they create out of the water, you know, this, all these creation stories are creating out of all this stuff, pre-existing stuff. The gods use that to create something. And so on this view of the pagan religions, you know, the gods were doing nothing different than what you see like construction workers do. They have stuff they, and they put it all together. And so there's nothing really different going on there. And on the other side of the fence, what you have is when the New Testament is being written, um, and we're going to see that teaches creation and nothing, you have Greek philosophers, you have skeptics, you have atheists who believe that the universe never began to exist and that matter, and in some form or another, is eternal. Matter has always existed. And so what they think is that things go back and back and back. And so the universe is infinite. Physical reality is infinite. Things just go back and back and back and back and back forever. The Bible has taught something completely different and unique for thousands and thousands of years, made predictions here of what we would find and we've discovered, and saying that and denying what everybody else thought, which is that one way or another, the universe has always existed in some way or form. And we're talking about this, yeah, like Romans 4, we're talking about, Nate, we're talking about salvation by, by uh, grace and faith alone. How does, why are you talking about creation of nothing? Well, what we're going to see here is that Paul talks and references Genesis 1-1. He talks about creation of nothing as something that comforts our souls. Like, I don't know how that's going to comfort my soul. We'll just hold on for a bit here. So we're going to look at this in our verse-by-verse -verse study, looking at one verse today. Romans 4, 17 says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, here's the part, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so we know the story of Abraham. If you've heard it, you know, this, you know, Abraham is promised this, you know, amazing lineage. All the nations, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through his seed and his heir. And so he's old. He's like, you know, he's above 80, right? And his wife is. And so he's like, all right, God, when's this going to happen? I'm, you know, I'm as good as dead. My, I'm, I'm all, you know, I'm, I'm above. He actually says that. I'm not making any stabs here if you're above. He actually says that, I mean, he's older than 80, but, you know. So he's like, I'm, I'm old here. I can't have a kid. And so, but he trusts in God for that promise to happen because he knows that God can make things that are, are dead and make them alive. God can, from, can bring out of nothing. He can bring something. And so because of God's power, Abraham trusts and believes the promises of God because he knows the power of God to do things, to do things with literally within the creation out of nothing. And so that's when he calls into existence the things that do not exist. What Paul is referencing here is Genesis 1-1. Think, if people know two verses in the Bible, they know John 3-16, and they know Genesis 1-1. So very famous. So let's read this, this verse that we all know, but just to kind of reflect on it here. Concretely. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Hebrew word for create is bara. And that's only applied to God's creation, only a type of creation that God can do. It's uniquely applied to God. Human beings in the, in the Hebrew Bible can't bara in this unique way of creating. And so it's talking here about creating something 
that previously did never existed. It did not exist. And some people say, well, yeah, maybe the beginning is, is, is referring to not an absolute beginning. But the word here, Bereshit, here, and, uh, you know, I still got my Hebrew, thank God, because that was harder than Greek when I went to seminary. Uh, I, was, I was better at Greek than I was at Hebrew. But, um, I mean, how do you not know that, the, you know, if, if you went to seminary, you've got to study Genesis 1-1. That's the most well-known verse in the Bible. But, yeah, the word for a beginning is Bereshit. And so this is used not just for, like, a beginning. Like, you know, we talk about beginnings as, like, uh, like the beginning of one's life. But that's not an absolute beginning. An absolute beginning is the beginning of everything. And so this word, if you look at Isaiah 46, 9, is used for the beginning of absolutely everything just in its, in its form. So it's an absolute beginning. And I'm going to read to you Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 to kind of look at this as using this. It's the same Hebrew word in the same structure as Genesis 1, 1. When it says beginning, it's the same word. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. You can't compare anything to God. Think of that 80s song, nothing compares to you. It's been a while. Some of you may have remembered it. I think it wasn't Sinead O'Connor who sang it, but, um, but yeah, like nothing compares to God. You can't compare how great and amazing God is because declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. So declaring the end from the beginning there is an absolute beginning point, an absolute starting point. And when the phrase is used, heavens and the earth, this is kind of the Jewish way of saying everything. So this is teaching that everything that exists, whatever, you know, if it was the, you know, the, the Lego blocks and the, Legos, the, the Lego construction, everything, matter, everything except for God began to exist. The whole universe. That's what heavens and earth means here. The whole, everything you can think of, that began to exist. It was created by God. And this is how Old Testament scholar Klaus Westermann speaks on how fundamentally different Genesis 1-1 is to all other creation stories at the time, which, you know, had these gods. It's polytheistic, had many gods creating out of this, like, pre-existent stuff. Lego blocks to kind of follow the illustration here. This is what he says about Genesis 1-1. It acquires a monumental importance which distinguishes it from all other creation stories. Verse 1 has no parallel in other creation stories. So it's not like you have, you know, Moses copying off pagan myths here. He's doing something unique because he is, he's receiving the unique revelation of God. And what is so amazing is that the early Christian church held fast to the absolute beginning of all things. And, and this matters because what they were, they were mocked for holding. I mean, you know, today everybody's more into this belief, but they were mocked because at the time philosophers and the pagan religion said, oh no, it's, it's absurd if you think that there was an absolute beginning point to all of reality. Aristotle taught that matter was eternal. They all thought that the universe never began to exist. It always was and it was always going to be there kind of thing. And so they received, you know, mockery and people thought they were crazy for thinking this. And again, we don't think this today because you know, today we have scientific discoveries. Christianity has spread, you know, to be the largest world religion. So today, and, you know, and there's, of course, Judeo-Christian Jewish people who believe in the, in the beginning of the universe, who believe in the, in the Torah. So this is more widespread, this belief. But you got to realize, back in the day, when Christianity was a small, isolated worldview, 
It was, it was viewed as crazy. And I think this is important just to look at because sometimes the Bible says things, and let's be honest here, that are not exactly cool or hip or culturally, you know, woke to whatever people think it is. And so people get kind of nervous, like, well, everybody thinks, you know, um, I was going to say Britney Spears thinks, but it's probably better if I went with Taylor Swift. She's more, you know, dating myself as a millennial here, right? So, you know, when people with Taylor, oh, Taylor Swift doesn't agree with me. Oh, no, you know, maybe I should rethink that. You know, maybe eh, I'm not going to take this seriously kind of thing. And so we have to look at our examples from our brothers and sisters in Christ in the first century who held the truth of the word of God, even though it was viewed as completely ridiculous that there was an absolute beginning point. I mean, you know, and they were mocked for holding this biblical position, yet the Christian church has held this view since the beginning and thousands and thousands of years. And so the word of God, as the book of Proverbs says, proves true. And so they held to this. And the reason why they did is not just Romans 4. It's like, oh, that's the only verse you got. No, there's lots of great verses that reference how clear. And what's, what's amazing about the New Testament is, is it clarifies the agent of creation, which is Jesus Christ. So it teaches creation out of nothing, but it clarifies kind of what God used to create everything through his word, as we'll see. Colossians 1, 16 through 18. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So all things were created for Jesus. And he is before all things. Anything you can think of, Jesus is before that. Think of anything, Jesus is before that. And in him, all things hold together. And he is head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And in him, everything might be preeminent. He is preeminent overall. He is before all. And so Jesus Christ created all things by his power. There was no pre-existent material that Jesus created things out. He just created things out of nothing. Everything is created for the glory of Jesus. The stars, the planets, and you and me. Jesus is God, and so all things come from God. Look at Romans 11, 34-35, kind of the God-centric view of creation, that all things are created from and for the Lord. Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? It's a rhetorical question. No one can counsel God. He is infinite and all-knowing. Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things the glory forever. Amen. And so you can see why the, the early church kind of held their ground while people were kind of laughing and mocking at them because it is... What it's, what's at stake with creation out of nothing is the glory and majesty of God that we are created for his glory and that all things are created for his glory and that if, if there's something alongside God that undermines his glory. So this is, this is something that matters. It matters to us today and it mattered to the early Christians. And it's so, something I've heard is, I've heard people say this. I had a kid in my youth group in South Carolina actually say this, but that God creates through sound waves. So he speaks and there's like these sound waves that create everything. Well, when you look at the Bible, God did not use like some intermediary, like sound waves to create everything. What we learn is that the speaking words were actually Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. He created the father, used Jesus to create all things. He used him as an instrument to create everything. And you see this in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, an absolute beginning. So just Jesus is just in this 
relationship, in this perfect relationship with the Father, Father God. All things were made through Him, through Jesus, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So you have this picture of, of, of just God existing, and you have the Word of God, Jesus, who expresses God through creation everything. And so it's Jesus who the Father creates all things. And so they're existing by themselves. And then, and then Jesus, through the power of the Father, you know, creates everything. And the Spirit, if you look at Genesis, the Spirit's hovering over the water. So, it's, so, so that creation is an act of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They were all involved in creation. God didn't use like, a, like sound waves or some like intermediate thing to create. No, God created from himself, from his power, not a literal speaking of sound waves, but through his son, Jesus, the word of God. Now, what it also teaches, the Bible teaches this, and people are a little surprised by this. The Bible actually gets very, very specific and tells us that God was before time. Now, try to wrap your mind around that. How can something be before time? I mean, you're like, you aren't using before? Isn't that kind of like a time word? Well, you can say logically before, like that God is prior to in some sense, but not in terms of time. It's kind of a weird, you start getting into, into this stuff, you're like, wow, I think I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> you know, you're like, wow, that's mind-blowing. And it, the Bible teaches that in Jude 1, 25. Or 25, because, you know, there's only one chapter in Jude there, so... <laughs> To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, prior to time, and now and forever. And so this is why Christians have understood for thousands and thousands of years why the Old Testament, why the Jewish people believe that God is not a part of creation. He's beyond time, space, matter, and energy. He is beyond time. He transcends it. And so this is, this is, as it says here, this fact that God transcends all of creation is for, it's his glory and majesty. And this shows that he is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. He's so beyond us that we have nothing to, to stand from but just, just to praise him and to worship him. Now, what I find just personally amazing is the advancements of philosophy and science have confirmed this conclusion the Bible has always said. That time, space, matter, and energy came into existence a finite time ago. The Bible predicts this, and, it ha and we, we find it out to this day. It's amazing. So something that the Bible was mocked for as silly, ridiculous, and absurd is now confirmed in science and in philosophy. And this is one of the reasons why I trust the Bible, why I live my life, try to live my life by it, not perfectly, but it's because, you know, people, people have said, oh, you know, how can you believe in this part of the Gospel of John? Or how can you believe in, the, in any evidence for the resurrection? You, Christians are just so foolish. And then what, what archaeology and historical study finds out is, oh, wow, we actually have really good reasons to believe this. And so scholars have had to change their views, I mean, more times than I can count because they make some prediction though John was written in the second or third century. And then they find a manuscript earlier than that. And like, uh-oh, oops, that was a mistake. The Christians are right. Let's date it to the first century again. You know, and so this, this kind of thing happens. And that is true of creation out of nothing. And this is one of the central claims of Christianity. And we, we find in, in, these, in these fields, this is confirmed. Now, I studied in the field of philosophy, my wife said to, um, to lower the amount of, of philosophy examples. She's like, you know, just because you like it, Nate, doesn't mean everybody else does, right? Like my jokes. 
Just because I like them doesn't mean everybody else likes them. I have kind of a selfish humor sometimes, you know. I'm up here laughing at my own jokes. You're like, that, yeah, I don't think that was very funny, actually. Uh, so... But yeah, so I'm just going to give you a, just, just a, kind of a, a quick one-minute overview. But what's been discovered is in philosophy is, is that if you accept an infinite, an infinite past going back and back and back and back and never-ending kind of thing, that there's like all of these just bizarre, weird, wacky absurdities that no one can really solve and end up like just, I wouldn't say they're paradoxes, I would just say they're contradictory on many levels. So say you think that an infinite amount of, there's an infinite past. So before we got to this moment, there's an infinite past. Imagine that for a second. I mean, you, you keep on adding in numbers, they just keep on growing. I don't know how you get to a stopping point, but imagine there was like an infinite past, right? If, there, if we had to cross over infinity to get to this point, there's an infinite past, we would have never gotten to the present moment, would we? How could, we, how could time and reality pass through an infinite amount of moments? Imagine someone counting to infinity. What would that be like? I mean, <laughs> you're just going on and on. And if, let's just say that you actually arrived. You got the last number you've counted. It's the last number, odd or even. <laughs> so you see, like, the, this, you can't wrap your head. I mean, you know, they would say it's both. But in the real world of rocks and trees and bees, you, that doesn't make any sense. And there's just one more example. This one is my, is my favorite. And there's, like, there's tons of these. If we had an infinite amount of time, I'd be, give you, be able to give you all the infinite amount of examples that, that there are. But there's one that Al Ghazali made up, and this one was, was, was really interesting. So say you have um, two planets circling the sun. Right? One, does it, one planet circles once a year, and the other planet does it twice a year. Right? Now let's just say an infinite amount of time has passed. Right? Well, they're at different frequencies, so one goes around once, and the other goes around twice. Like, I'm doing math in church. This pastor's weird. So, so one goes once, once a year, the other one twice a year. Now, as an infinite amount of time elapses, the one that only goes once around the sun gets infinitely behind. But after an infinite amount of time, they're both infinite. Now, that does, that's, it's infinitely behind, but it's the same exact number. That doesn't make any sense. And so these are clearly absurd. And like I said, there's so many of And no one can resolve these. Like, it's not like that people have resolutions. They don't. Um, there's one that's really weird called Tristan Shandy that they made up. That's no one can resolve that one. It's bizarre. Uh, and so, yeah, there's just all of these wild examples. And this is why German mathematician David Hilbert wrote, the infinite is nowhere to be found in reality, in terms of physical reality. It neither exists in nature nor provides a legitimate basis for rational thought. The role that remains for the infinite plays solely an idea in the mind. And definitely God's mind with that. But yeah, it's, it's, it can't, you can't apply infinite with rocks and trees and bees. It's just not going to work out. Real, you know, here's an apple over here. You can't, you can't apply it there. But it's just not just philosophical reasons why we don't say there's an infinite past. There's just amazing, amazing scientific confirmations of this. And many people are not aware of this. But this is, this is when you think through this, this is really cool. Because almost everybody now believes that time, space, matter, and energy began to exist a finite time ago. This is... Not my opinion. This is according to uh, Stephen Hawking, who is himself a famous agnostic. This is what he said. He's passed on, sadly. Almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. So an absolute beginning. It was interesting. Um, 
is that before Hawking, Hawking died, he was at USC, and someone asked him why he's trying to come up with all these theories to try to avoid the Big Bang, because he didn't like it. He didn't like the Big Bang very much. And what he said uh, is that, well, I'm, I'm trying to get out of the Big Bang because I'm trying to avoid, it's too, the Big Bang's just too theological. That's what he said. Basically, hey, you know, I think it points to God too much, so I'm trying to erase it, you know, just trying to get rid of this sucker right here. And so even him, it's, yeah, the, the, the Big Bang opens the door for, for the divine. You might ask why I've heard such negative things about her or something. Well, this is why. This is what uh, uh, agnostic philosopher Anthony Kenny writes. He says, a proponent of the Big Bang theory, at least he, if he is an atheist, must believe that the matter of the universe came from nothing and by nothing. But... What comes from nothing? Nothing. From nothing, nothing comes from something, something comes. Seems obvious. And you know, it, you know people, people have this idea that, okay, you know, it's just, it's so hard to believe in you know, the resurrection. It's so hard to believe in miracles, Christians say. But at least, on, at least on Christianity, right? At least you have a miracle worker, like Jesus, the Lord, right? But on, if you're an atheist, you think it popped out of nowhere. You have a miracle without a miracle worker. So you can't really object to miracles anymore, and nothing really makes sense. And so I, and this is important to say because I've heard people say, oh, you know, the Big Bang, that's an atheist theory. A bunch of, you know, atheist scientists came in their labs going, <laughs> how do we destroy God kind of thing. I've heard people kind of give me that narrative. And, uh, you know, it's, oh, it's all what the secular scientists want you to think is a Big Bang. You know, they, that's the, kind of their replacement for God kind of thing. Well, what this fails to appreciate is that prior to the 20th century, that entire time, atheists were just saying, oh, Christians are so ridiculous, the beginning of the universe, never, that's so dumb. And so their, their whole thing was matter was eternal. That was their whole, and, and cosmologists tried to basically do everything they can to protect that conclusion that matters. Can, you know, and they have all these, all these uh, different models they have today they try to throw up to try to get rid of the absolute beginning. It's not something that they want to admit. So this is something they don't want to have because they don't want things popping into existence uncaused out of nothing. I mean, you wouldn't like it. I mean, <laughs> if you had a, a bunch of panda bears right now at home popping uncaused into existence into your home or something, or rats, the rats would be worse. I go with the panda bears, they're cute, you know? But, I mean, you, know, you don't expect like a giant pizza to pop into existence uncaused. I mean, so they want it, people want to avoid this if you're not a believer. And the Christian view has always been the opposite. It's been a beginning. And uh, there's kind of this cool scientific proof about this absolute beginning, and this is from the uh, board guth lengthen theory, which I'm sure you all know. You've read it. But this is, I'm just going to quote you the conclusion. This is from an agnostic cosmologist, Alexander Valenthin. And he, he writes about how his theorem proves, basically, that there was a beginning of the universe. It is said that an argument is what convinces a reasonable man, and a proof is what it takes to convince even an unreasonable man. With the proof now in place, cosmologists can no longer hide behind the possibility of a past eternal universe. Because they don't want to believe it. <laughs> That's why he says, there is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. They don't want to believe it, but they're forced to, kind of thing. And so, uh, another, this one is probably the most easiest reason to understand for me personally, you know, because I'm not a scientist, I'm mostly a, a philosophy guy and study the Bibles, that kind of thing. Bibles, <laughs> study the Bibles, revelations. <laughs> don't put plural at the end of that. Uh, so, 
But so one of the things is that what we see in science, and this is, of course, assuming that Jesus doesn't come back, which I believe Jesus is coming back for sure. Second coming big time. And so it, what, what, if the things just are let go without Jesus coming back, what it predicts is a heat death, the eventual heat death of the universe. The sun's going to die out and it's going to be a cold, lifeless universe. But if there's been an infinite amount of time prior to this moment, we'd already, I wouldn't be talking to you, we'd all be dead. The sun would burn out, we'd, we would, you know, the sun's important. S-U-N, both S-U-N and S-O-N suns are important, by the way. But yeah, the sun's important, and that would already be died out, and there'd be a cold, dead, lifeless universe. We wouldn't be here having a conversation if there was an infinite amount of time. It would have already happened by now, but it hasn't, which shows the universe. It doesn't go back and back and back for infinity. Um, and so this is this is pretty good confirmation. So that means that what God inspired through Moses, penning Genesis 1-1, is what science has predicted what, what it's what is found what it, so what moses predicted is what science found this is amazing and this is why i trust the bible this is why i've given my life to preaching the bible because it always proves true it always shows itself to be the truth and of course that sets us free and so it's amazing how uh, how god works to do this and this is just i mean what people say that are not christians about how this conclusion leads to god i find really stunning and especially from this, um, this guy named Robert uh, Jastro, he's actually an agnostic astronomer, planetary scientist, and he puts this about the discoveries from the beginning of the universe. This guy does not believe in God. And this is what he says about what the Big Bang has shown. You know, so people think it is against you know, Christianity or something, but this is what he says. For the scientist who has lived by faith and the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak as he pulls himself over the final rock. He is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. It's very ironic how an agnostic speaks that way, isn't it? Someone who doesn't believe in God says that. But he says something even more interesting in Christianity today. He draws the conclusion for himself. He says, astronomers now find that they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which they can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in the cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this has happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces. That's what he says. Supernatural forces at work, I think, is a scientifically proven fact. So even this agnostic guy says it's a fact that there is a transcendent supernatural reality. It's God. God is truly with us. His presence is here this morning. He, he is the amazing creator of all things, and you can know this creator by trusting, believing, and receiving Jesus Christ. That is a way to know God, according to Scripture, which is always proven to be true. Now, I, I realize, and I, I, the concern, like, oh, man, I've never been to a sermon where we've gone over this before. Like, what is, what's the deal with this church, right? This is going over all this academic stuff here, you know, creation of nothing. Is this like a purely intellectual sermon? A purely kind of academic pursuit? I don't think so. 
Because in Scripture, this matters so much. Because if you deny the doctrine of creation out of nothing, what you will deny, as I said, is the unique glory and majesty of God. So we're talking about the very glory of God at stake here. The Christian faith is lost if creation out of nothing is lost. This is of infinite importance. And the reason why I say that is imagine if it weren't true. So like some people have said or like creation myths have said, like you have God and you have this stuff existing alongside God, which, which God uses to create everything. So then you have two infinite and eternal things, right? You have these two things existing for all eternity side by side with one another. And so that means that God, you can compare something to God, but you can't. The Bible teaches nothing compares to God. Nothing compares to his glory. He cannot share his glory with anything. There is no God before him, none after. There is no thing before him or after. He is the greatest. Nothing can share in his beautiful eternity. The creator cannot be the creature and the creation cannot be the creator. There's just no way. And Isaiah 42, 8 shows this. It says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Whether it's, you know, someone's personal conception of a God or even an idol that has no personality. God cannot share his glory with any other thing. He alone is infinite. He alone is from eternity to eternity. He doesn't share that with anything else. And so he alone is to be praised and worshipped forever and ever. He alone has these things. Not some, you know, pre-existing matter that he's shared with for all eternity past. Speaking, of course, in an analogous way, I mean, how can you talk about timeless eternity? So, and you know, this, if God needed something, if he needed like this creative clump, this, this Legos, this little stack of Legos to create creation, this little building blocks to create things, if he needed that, then that would make God needy in some sense. He would need something other than what's the resources from and in himself. The Bible teaches that God's not like so needy, like, oh, I need you, you know. God's not needy like that, you know. Acts 17, 24 to 25 says that God doesn't need anything. It says that God who made the world and everything in it, the Legos and the Lego clumps, whatever it is, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He doesn't need anything from anybody. He is the Lord. He is the greatest. If he needed something, then he wouldn't be the greatest. He'd be needy. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So when God created, he didn't need like a clump of matter to assist him. He did it from in himself by his beautiful power and amazing glory. There was no pre-existing stuff there. And people ask me, well, you know, why did God create then? Was he, was he like lonely and sad before creation? Was there, I just need somebody in my life. I'm so sad. Wish I had a friend, you know. No, that's not how God was. He was in a perfect harmony of love relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A timeless, beautiful love between each member of the Trinity as John 17 teaches. There was no change in that. There's no need for change. It's perfect and static the way it is. It was, so God didn't create out of a need to like, you know, need people or, you know, like he needs us. I've heard people say, well, God needs us just as much as we need him. That's not true. 
God doesn't need anything. He is the greatest. He is to be glorified. But the reason why he created is out of the abundance of his love, not out of a need for love. See the difference? He does it out of, out of his abundance and greatness, not out of like a, a need for something, a need from us. He does it out of his overflowing mercy and grace for us. And so, in many ways, we understand creation out of nothing. We understand who God really is. We understand that he is the greatest. He is worthy of worship. And you see, the good news of creation out of nothing that is captured here in Romans 4 is that if God can bring into existence the things that do not exist, then do you think he can take away all your sins and failures? We're talking about a God who by his power brings things into existence that no human being can do that. This is a God that is so powerful that he can, he treats, if you trust in Christ this morning, he treats you as if your sins, as if you've never sinned. He takes that away because Jesus came down to die for all of our sins. He took our sins. They are taken away and God by his power worked that out so that we, we, can, we can move on in our lives. Some people say, well, you know, Nate, I'm just, I've messed up way too much in my life. I have just hurt so many people. I've wronged so many people. I've done so many things. And I, I'm maybe, you know, I'm at the end of my life and, you know, I'm not worth a whole lot. You know, well, if you're alive this morning, God has a reason and a purpose for your life. And we're talking about the God who takes from nothing and brings something. I mean, at least you exist, <laughs> you know, you're alive talking to, you know, we're here, right? So God can take whatever messes and failures you've made and he can use that for his glory. He has a purpose for you in your life and he will cleanse you and wash you in Christ and use you no matter where you are at in life, no matter what stage you are at in life, no matter what it is, God can use you. He, he used nothing, he can use you. And that's why you're alive here this morning. It's because there's a purpose and a place for your life. And don't deny the purpose of God for yourself. Trust in Christ. And when you trust in Christ, those sins that you can't forget that haunt you at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. God, God, as Jeremiah 31 says, God doesn't remember them. He doesn't hold you against, he doesn't hold those against you. He will clean you and use you. So trust in Christ and you will be used by God and used in ways that you'll never expect. And that's why the gospel is such good news. Let's pray together.